Welcome to the OG Advocates Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I'm here with Drs. Kyle Bukowski and Katie McHugh. The advocates were taking a little summer break, and we hope you all got some well-deserved time away, too. You may have also noticed our friend, Dr. Cassandra Scales, has not been on the last few episodes. She has been very busy with other endeavors and hopes to rejoin our conversation soon, and we miss her. There are a lot of things that keep me up at night, but one of the biggest ones is climate change. Just this week, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change published a 3,000-page report and described it as a, quote, code red for humanity. We are already seeing irreversible changes from climate change and are on track to increase the average temperature on Earth by 1.5 degrees Celsius within 20 years, which will have catastrophic effects across the planet. But what does this have to do with reproductive health? And why are we talking about this on a podcast with OBGYNs? Well, we have the perfect person to answer those questions. Dr. Nate DiNicola is an obstetrician and gynecologist at Johns Hopkins Health System in Washington, D.C. He is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists environmental health expert and liaison to the American Academy of Pediatrics Executive Council on Environmental Health. He represents ACOG on medical collaborations, including the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health, and he is the ACOG International Liaison to the International Federation of Gynecology and Obstetrics at the World Health Organization Pollution-Free Generation Initiative. He has published peer review articles on environmental exposures on reproductive health, and most recently, he was senior author on a systematic review published in JAMA June 2020, Association of Air Pollution and Heat with Preterm Birth, Low Birth Weight, and Stillbirth in the U.S. As I said, we have the perfect person to talk about this. And so, Nate, I wanted to just start off asking you, how did you even get interested in this topic, especially as an OBGYN? Well, thanks, Megan and and Katie and Kyle. Uh, You know, joining the OGs here is the highlight of my summer. Uh, and so really I, I was trying to pick topics that would let me be on podcasts just like this. And I thought it would be a popular topic. <laughs> um, no, so, you know, I, I grew up in Southern California where, uh, where I am at the moment. Um, and th- there's just such a kind of natural draw to spend time outdoors. You know, we have the beaches or the mountains. So there's always kind of an interest in outdoors activities and, uh, you know, kind of valuing that, but it, it never became a career interest until I went to a lecture. And, and so I, I tell people this, you know, like whenever you're, you're giving a lecture or attending it, and I think there's always a concern it could be so monotonous or what will it really change anything. For me, it changed my career path uh, because the lecture was by Mark Tursek, who at the time was the CEO of the Nature Conservancy. And he was a very odd choice. He had like a 20-something year career at Goldman Sachs. He was managing director. He was not at all what you think of as like the head of a, you know, what people typically think of as a kind of crunchy granola organization, you know, Goldman Sachs and the kind of Wall Street engine is typically opposing that. Uh, but he was the guy they chose for uh, the Nature Conservancy because he, he saw this connection between, for him, it was between business and uh, ecological conservation, that, that you really had to deal in reality and that his interests in business were directly aligned and in fact were, were synergistic with environmental conservation. So I was watching this guy talk and really kind of uh, amazed by the, at the time, unique connections he was making. I asked him afterwards, since he thought I was, I thought he was the perfect guy who might, you know, have some kind of connection to health or medicine, uh, you know, have you, have you reached out to that community at all? 
And his answer was very candid. He was like, huh, that, that would be a good idea. So I thought, well, if, you know, this guy who clearly <laughs> is thinking outside the box and making some loose connections, if he hasn't done anything, I, I wonder, you know, is, is anybody else doing this? Uh, so I, I, I kind of wrote a, a few emails to some people I knew along the way in leadership at different societies. And the, the timing was just about right that uh, the, the pediatricians were already reaching out to us uh, OBGYNs through ACOG to ask for more partnership. Uh, because the, the pediatricians have been on this topic for a long time. Uh, they're, they're by far and away uh, the, the leaders on this within medicine. I, I think because kids eat things, like they pick things up off you know, the counter and the you know, floor and they eat things, they have to know if it's toxic or not. And that, that kind of builds a whole interest in uh, toxic exposures. So uh, the pediatricians had come to ACOG and said, we, we think we need a partner uh, because by the time our patients get to us, which is still really young, you know, still pediatric, you know, young, young age. It, it was almost too late in some cases, you know, that the intervention had to be earlier. And so uh, I was kind of at the right place and the right time to fill this liaison role between the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, on their council for environmental health and uh, the, the role ACOG was, was trying to build to, uh, you know, basically see how we could help the pediatricians protect their patients sooner. Uh, and along the way, you know, do what we as OBGYNs do, which is protect uh, you know, women from toxic exposures for their own health, and often it translates to uh, protecting the, the fetal health. So, Nate, you were just talking about um, about women's exposures and 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 um, how that all wraps into pediatrics. Can you t tell us a little bit about your research in all of this? You you know, Megan in her introduction had all kinds of exciting things to say. And when I was, you know, doing a little background search on you myself, even though I've known you for years, I was so surprised to see all of the research that you've published. Can you share a little bit about what you found? Yeah, thanks. And, and I, I love that we can just candidly talk about Googling each other now. Like that used to be a very creepy thing. And now it's totally normal. Uh, fact, <laughs> it would be weird and, and if I wasn't. It would, it would, I'd be unprepared. It'd be weird if you hadn't. Uh, <laughs> this is great. So yeah, the, the, the paper that uh, Megan referenced, uh, the JAMA publication, uh, which by the way, so it published on June 18th, 2020. Uh, we had began, we began the, this project three years prior, uh, which is a, you know, kind of a normal timeline for a systematic review, which I'm not sure I'll ever do again because of that. But so, you know, when we, when we began this endeavor, we couldn't possibly have imagined the date it would publish, but it published on, you know, the day before Juneteenth, 2020 at the height of Black Lives Matter movement in, in that summer. And one of the core messages was that, that our specific uh, outcomes, obstetrics, uh, you know, preterm birth, low birth weight, stillbirth, uh, but that reflects kind of all the outcomes that, that environmental health touches were disproportionately affected uh, and, and you know, felt in uh, communities of color. So as far as, you know, how we picked our research interests, the, you know, the environment is such a wide topic. And, and that particular paper began uh, by looking at the light, like a, a woman's life course, kind of from when uh, she herself would be a young girl. Uh, all the way through adolescence and postmenopause, and the kind of burden of chronic disease uh, as an elderly woman. And we realized really, really quickly, there's way too much looking at it that way. Uh, so we kind of picked just the OB side because looking at GYN combined with was too much. And then even with an obstetrics, I mean, there, there were so many different ways you can pair environment and, and health outcome. You know, I mean, the environment can be everything. Uh, so we wanted to, 
look at something that was very uh, ubiquitous, that, that affected everybody, but was also you know, very present here and now in the US. And, and so we thought the most ubiquitous uh, and kind of you know, almost relatable exposures were uh, extreme heat, uh, which you know, right now we're in the middle of summer, every day is a new record high, no matter where you're living, uh, and air pollution. You know, no, nobody's free from air pollution. So those are the two we looked at. And uh, a brief signal from the research has shown that uh, these OB outcomes were, were probably the ones uh, that were most common. And as we dove into it, uh, you're looking at over 32 million US births, uh, we found that uh, over, over the vast majority of all the studies looking at those exposures and those outcomes, uh, there was a significantly increased risk associated with uh, exposure to either extreme heat during pregnancy or the upper limits of air pollution during, during pregnancy. So that, that became the core message, was that uh, pregnancy is vulnerable to uh, extreme heat and to uh, high amounts of air pollution, and that it, it's happening right now in the US, uh, you know, very strongly associated with things that we deal with every day, like, like preterm birth, like uh, the catastrophic outcome of a stillbirth. You know, what do you say to, and obviously, you know, this, audience here. And when we're talking about this, we're fully on board with what the data shows. But what do you say to people who stay say that we should stay in our lane and that this isn't really about like, as physicians, we really shouldn't get involved in this or that that the people who are questioning or denying the data or denying, you know, climate change in general, how do you tackle that one? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's still an important one, you know, I mean, on, on all fronts. I, I think when it comes to the data, you know, it really is helpful to be able to, in terms of the scientific community, to really point to data. You know, it, when I first gave a lecture in New Orleans, uh, it was a really fascinating conference. It was called the American Council on an Energy Efficient Economy, uh, the ACEEE. And it was mostly architects and city planners and people that doctors, I don't think, typically, you know, kind of uh, rub shoulders with. And when I, when I watched them present, it was, first of all, fascinating how much they are thinking about this. And they are building in uh, climate positivity and sustainability into their, uh, their work. But when I, when I gave the lecture there, some of the feedback was, well, you know, I'm sure there's some uh, anecdotal reports about health impacts in, in pregnancy. And I had to kind of clarify, you know, an anecdote is a story, right? An anecdote is, is a one-time thing. Like, like they begin with phrases, once upon a time or one time at band camp. Right. Those are anecdotes. Uh, 32 million U.S. births to quote, you know, shamelessly my own study, uh, but but countless other studies that are out there. Uh, these are not anecdotes. You know, we, we actually have some robust data. So to a scientific community, I think there's plenty to point to to um, to a, a, a more lay audience. I think they are also picking up on the message uh, because there's something inherently just relatable that that air pollution is toxic. Right. I mean, it's called air pollution. Um, you wouldn't drink water pollution. You wouldn't eat food pollution. There's no reason to think that air pollution should be free of, of health consequences. And, and so the analogy that I that I draw is and I don't think it's much of a labored analogy. Pardon that OB pun for a second, uh, which is tobacco smoke. You know, for for a long time, there there was a debate about tobacco smoke and its effects on on the body. Uh, but what really kind of became a I think turning point was when societal pressure built around the idea of secondhand smoke. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't just that, you know, individual choices affected that person, but the choices that 
that we're creating the environment, uh, you know, kind of independent of, of people's own contribution, we're going to give them, uh, in this case, lung cancer, we're going to affect their health. And so, uh, you know, if you, you can kind of look at air pollution as, as secondhand smoke across the entire world, uh, that, that we are, are breathing in these toxic exposures, there's plenty of biological plausibility for why they are toxic uh, and, and why they're toxic in numerous ways. You know, uh, when we look at air pollution, we I've done it from an OB standpoint. So we look at things like preterm birth and how it affects vascular health. But, but you know, the, the pulmonary doctor is looking at it in terms of how it affects respiratory health. The cardiologist looking at it, how it affects cardiovascular health. And, and nobody really questions that inhaling nicotine affects all the systems in your body, you know. Um, and so I, I think pointing out not only the biological plausibility that is pretty inherent uh, to, to any basic understanding of toxins, uh, pointing out the hard data that we have in our field, but also pointing out this is kind of coming, it's triangulating from all different dimensions of medicine. You know, all the different uh, groups are reaching the same conclusion. And so I, I think that that becomes compelling after a while. You know, I mean, to, to, to deny it really means uh, doing what Mark Tursek warned against in, in the lecture I, I, I saw that was life-changing for me, you know, it's not dealing reality. And like, of course you can do that, uh, but, but only to a limit and only so many people are, are really willing to do that. You know, most people do want to deal in reality and, and uh, solve problems once they, you know, kind of recognize they exist. So recognizing that this problem exists, we as a group of OBGYN advocates are committed to changing things for the better for our patients and for our own families, for our children. Um, what can what can we do as physicians to advocate on behalf of our patients, or what can we just as people do to help this seemingly very dire situation? Yeah, so this is where I think I do have a bit of good news. You know, I I, I, I don't say this uh, to be just you know rose colored uh, as a as a tone to conclude things. Uh, I, I really do see uh, positive steps. So what, one is a very encouraging study uh, that came out of the, a natural experiment in Northern California where they retired coal power plants for uh, about a decade. And during that time period, the preterm birth uh, rate accounting is adjusted odds ratio, accounting for all the things that you can try to account for, uh, logistic regressions. Uh, the preterm birth rate dropped by over 25%. MFMs look at that when I present it with, with this, just they're green with envy. I mean, there's nothing that an MFM can do to reduce preterm birth by 25%. That's not to say the data settled on this, you know, that we can guarantee that will be re replicated uh, everywhere, but it's encouraging. You know, I mean, it, it really is a, a sign that like, if you tell a smoker, if they quit smoking, their risk of cancer reduces back to baseline within 10 years, that's motivating. You know, you can gain that health benefit. And, and so we've seen kind of a similar thing play out. And in response, communities are now trying to uh, enact similar uh, kind of kind of infrastructure and, and systematic changes uh, around themselves. So, you know, one thing that, that physicians can do, both in their role as a doctor and as a kind of a good citizen, is, you know, we have a duty to warn. So to talk to patients about it. Uh, I think we always are a little hesitant to talk to patients about something that we don't have an immediate answer for. You know, if we don't have a cure, then why are we going to bring up a topic? But I, I think when it comes to these public health exposures, uh, we, we still have an obligation to talk about it. 
and there are some things you can do. Uh, the the ACOG committee opinion that came out uh, just in July on on reducing uh, toxic prenatal exposures does go through some of this counseling. It's, it's very simple. It's mostly risk mitigation, avoiding exercising outdoors during times of high pollution or times of high heat, uh, really emphasizing extra hydration during these, uh, you know, prolonged heat waves. Uh, there's a lot that can be talked about in terms of reducing food-borne uh, exposures to endocrine disruptors. But but ultimately, this is kind of more than what an individual can do. I, I think people recognize that. And so, you know, there, there are quite a few acts of legislation that are out there now. And, and I think there's there's a role for, um, you know, for for doctors and and other people who consider themselves advocates to, to learn about these bills and, and pay attention to them and, and you know, consider supporting them. Uh, one of those is, is from uh, Representative Lauren Underwood uh, in Chicago. She herself is a nurse. Uh, she invited myself and uh, Bruce Becker, the, the lead author in our paper, to join uh, this uh, caucus on, on black and brown maternal health related to uh, kind of environmental justice. And from that conversation and many others, you know, kind of many of the research, they have a bill right now in the House uh, protecting moms and babies from climate change, and it would it would build in all the kind of infrastructure that I that I referenced. You know, things like cleaning up the energy supplies. Uh, it would give risk mitigation things that that do work in in prior studies. Things like air conditioning for uh, a lot of the urban homes that don't have it, air filters for places that don't have it. Um, and and just just last week, uh, Senator Feinstein, among others, introduced a a bill protecting people from phthalates, which is an endocrine disruptor in plastics. And that has, uh, I think like 10% of the Senate so far has, has signed on to it. So, so these, these are kind of things moving in the right direction. And I think, I think, you know, in an informed citizenry, if people look at these and agree with them, there, there's a lot of opportunity to start making change at the kind of higher, higher system levels. listening to you talk about this, I, I keep coming back to how um, this reflects, right, how racist policies create the uh, disparate impact on communities of color uh, and low-income communities who didn't have a choice that the freeway cut their neighborhood, right, or that the, the plant was close to their neighborhood and not the white neighborhood. And I, I think it's so powerful to have data that then shows that connection for people who really still um, think that this is an issue of uh, different groups of people having different outcomes because of their race and changing it to understand that racist policies create these disparate outcomes. I think your work is so important to help people build that connection in a time when we're so challenged, uh, especially for, for white people to understand what racism really is, right? It's policy uh, and not, you know, me being mean to another person necessarily. And I just, I'm so happy to hear you speak about this because it just really solidifies that, you know, for being able to explain to other people about how this impacts uh, different groups. I think that's, that's amazing. Especially when we talk about preterm birth and all of these things that we feel so powerless as OBGYNs to address when it affects disparate communities and now this gives us an avenue, right? Okay, well, if we want to help this group of people, we need to change the policies that set this up in the first place. Yeah, and, and there's there's really well-established biological paradigms for this. You know, I mean, we, we know about the heat islands, 
which is which is where in particularly urban settings heat is concentrated in the downtown area uh, which has to do with kind of how the ground surfaces absorb the heat and also the toxic waste uh, around those areas more concentrated and and that's where that's where these communities uh, have been yeah very you know like like partitioned to to live and it's been designed that way for, for decades and that has real health consequences that that uh, you know are accounted for by by other factors other than than that exposure is exacerbated uh, and that's and that's you know creating these really disproportionate impacts um, and so I, I think that is a crucial part of this of this whole message about environmental uh, determinants of health you know that we need to build system policies that is part of what Representative Underwood's bill would address are these kinds of things uh, and and the other good news to you know, for Megan, and I think this whole group here is that her bill is just one of several, you know, I mean, I, I've been close to that one. So I reference it with kind of more firsthand knowledge, but there's a whole kind of cascade of these coming. And so I, I think there'll be ample opportunity for, uh, you know, physicians and for patients really to advocate for themselves for the kind of changes that, that need to happen because, you know, there's only so much a mom can do by herself. We already have all these rules. We give her what she can't eat and you know, all, all these all these kind of limiting rules. It's not fair to then ask her to, you know, like like be be in any way responsible for the the temperature outside or the quality of the air. Uh, we we as a society need to decide to to take care of each other better. And I'm just curious, these bills that sound very promising, are you seeing bipartisan support, or does it seem to be falling into more partisan lines? Well, so I mean, it, it's early on on uh, Senator Feinstein's bill, um, so that that looks very partisan so far. When it comes to Representative Underwood's bill, uh, I, I know they do have uh, a small amount of bipartisan support, but it, it has largely been divided along these party lines, um, and that yeah, unfortunately is not very surprising based on you know kind of what what we've seen from uh, you know so almost a party position on on climate science. Uh, and so I, I think that, not I think, there's no question, this will require bipartisan efforts. I mean, this, this can't be solved by just one party. And so I, I think that's where, you know, we as we as trusted voices in healthcare have a role to, and I know it's hard to, to make this the, the pitch, but in, in so many ways, this is this is a health message. You know, this is, this is protecting moms, protecting babies, this is protecting uh, you know a whole life course of women's health as they go on to, you know, endocrine disruption has has consequences for breast cancer, for example. So it's not just it's not just prenatal. Uh, th that is that is a very unifying message. You know, th there's nothing partisan about protecting women from breast cancer. Um, so I think I think our appeal to the health message is is exceptionally strong, and that's where we have to reach broad audiences that that quite frankly probably don't view every single thing in a partisan way. You know, I mean, there's a lot of that rhetoric out there, but but the health messages tend to resonate. Uh, and just an example, you know, when when the first kind of wave environmental legislation went through in the um, early 1970s, like the, a lot of these acts, like Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, these were health bills, you know, these were protect health. Um, and so I think we have we have an opportunity to, to, to kind of harness that, 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 very universal, very vested interest in our own health uh, when we look at, you know, kind of the, the environmental custodianship. Do you think we can do it? Do you think we can well, you reverse know, some of these effects? The, the Tell answer, me something so I can sleep at night, Nate. <laughs> the, the answer that I'll give, 
is the same answer that I, I just watched Apollo 13 recently, you know, and they're like, you know, trying to solve all these problems and it seems insurmountable. And I know this is a work of fiction, but based on real events. And then they ask him, like, how are we going to do this? How, how are you going to do this? And, and they say, we'll, we'll solve it because we have to, you know, we have to. And so and so we will. And and I, I'm encouraged by, you know, things like the, uh, you know, it's a small example, but preterm birth rates uh, returning back to baseline or, or, or reducing by 25 percent when we uh, remove coal power plants. I mean, it, it was really encouraging. Just just look at the pictures you can get from a quick Google search of um, uh, Heaven Temple in Beijing after like a month of, of no traffic during the early COVID, uh, you know, lack of kind of regular transportation. Like these effects can happen way. Like, I think we shouldn't underestimate, uh, this will get a little touchy feely, but you know, Mother Earth's capacity to heal. Like I, I don't think that we should be, uh, you know, underestimate that that part because we have been surprised before by how quickly some of these, these health benefits are, are reaped. Um, you know, a more concrete example, look at what we did with unleaded gas. You know, we, we, we made that a policy in the early 1970s and, and, you know, it's just precipitous, the, the blood lead levels that dropped in, in pediatrics uh, measurements. So, so we've done it before. We can absolutely do it again. Uh, you know, one, we have to, and, and two, I think enough of us want to, that, that, you know, we're going to have that critical mass. Well, we're definitely going to put these bills in the um, show notes so people can look up them, get more information on them, learn how to advocate for them, reach out to their representatives as well. I, I would encourage the uh, doctors who listen to this or the healthcare providers, the nurse practitioners, everybody to, to find some way to talk to, you know, your patient tomorrow about something environmentally related. Because uh, it, it won't be that hard. You know, I mean, it, it, you talk about nutrition properly. You can talk about not, say, I don't know, microwaving things in plastic. Um, you probably talk about exercise at some point. You can mention, uh, you know, hydration precautions when, during the heat waves. Uh, unfortunately, there's probably a natural disaster that's going to happen in the next few weeks. You can talk about uh, how, how that has, you know, disproportionate impacts on, on you know, certain communities and, and just, you know, pregnancy is a vulnerable time uh, for, for fetal development. So I would say, you know, the doctors and providers find some way to talk to them and to the, to the you know, moms and, and just citizens and patients out there, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask your doctor about what your concerns might be. Uh, they might not have the answer right away, but I, can, I, I think the group on here will agree. I don't know. I got, I'm curious about your thoughts, but one of the most motivating things for me to learn about a new topic is having enough patients ask about it. You know, I mean, if, if I get asked three times about hair dye during pregnancy, I'm going to go research it and, and find an answer. Uh, so if, if people get asked, you know, a few times, like, should I be worried about uh, this heat wave coming up because I'm 28 weeks pregnant and I don't want to deliver in the next few weeks, maybe that would get you know, kind of a more informed citizenry. Nate, thank you so much. Uh, even though this is a challenging topic, I do feel better. <laughs> at the end of this podcast, <laughs> um, talking with you about it, I feel hopeful for the future. And, you know, especially just everything you've said about the encouraging data with, with environmental changes, and not only how it impacts uh, pregnancy outcomes, but just general health. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, and we will put more information in the show notes so people can get involved because now is the time. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you like what you heard, feel free to review our podcast. And special shout out to OBGYN resident Dr. Evie Adams for creating our cover art. All right, see you next time.